Hello and welcome to the Heart to Handle Sports Podcast. This is episode number 26. Thank you so much for being here. My name is Ismael San Juan. We have a lot to talk about today. Eagles pulled Jalen Hurts for Nate Sudfield. Crazy, crazy stuff. Did not see that coming. Josh Jacobs gets booked for a DUI charge. The day after the NFL season concludes, we'll touch on that. Dolphins lose a must-win game to the Bills. They get absolutely destroyed. Also, on Black Monday, Coach Doug Marone and Anthony Lynn get fired. Two very intriguing job positions in the Premier League. Liverpool lose to Southampton. What's going on with Liverpool? City beat Chelsea 3-1. City's back in the title race. We'll touch on that. This is episode 26 of the Hard to Handle Sports Podcast. Let's get started. On Sunday Night Football, the Eagles pulled Jalen Hurts to give Nate Sudfeld playing time. According to Doug Peterson, that was the reason behind it. He said they went in all week with the plan to give Nate Sudfeld some playing time. Um, I mean, if you believe Doug Peterson, that's up to you. Myself, I do not believe him. I think that's cap. I think he's lying. Uh, I don't think that was the motive behind it. I think there's there's two main reasons for why he did this. Number one, draft position. The Eagles were out of the playoff race. There's no, there was no, there was no benefit for the Eagles to win that game other than to just stick it to the Washington football team to get to eliminate them from the playoffs. Other than that, if they won, they would have been the ninth overall pick. If they lost, they were the, now they're the sixth overall pick. So logistically, it makes sense. Like. It benefits them to lose. Now you're the sixth overall pick, and that pick is worth a, a whole lot more than the ninth picks. Picks, especially in the top ten, especially in the top five, but in the top ten, they're still worth a lot more from six to ninth. If you would have gone from, like, 17th to, like, 14th, that's not so much of value, but going from ninth to six, that's a lot of value. So I think that's one of the reasons why uh, Jalen Hurts was pulled Instead of Nate Sudfield, it was just tanking, basically, trying to get a better draft position. Jalen Hurts would have given them a better chance to actually get the win. You put Nate Sudfield, we all saw what Nate Sudfield did. He's not a legit NFL quarterback. We all saw it. Uh, Once you put Nate Sudfield, the game was basically over. There was no way the Eagles were going to come back in that game. The second reasoning, and I think the main reasoning for why Jalen Hurts got benched, is because... The Eagles as an organization, Doug Peterson as the coach, were not ready to move on from Wentz. If the Eagles play Jalen Hurts the whole game, if they let him have the fourth quarter, it's a primetime game. It's the last game of the season. Everybody's watching. There's a lot at stake. We all know not just Eagle fans and Washington football team fans are watching, but Sunday Night Football is like the most watched game of any any week of this of the NFL, any week. The Sunday Night Football game is the most watched game uh, any week of the NFL season. So it was already going to be a large audience. Eagle fans were watching. Washington football fans were watching. Giants fans were watching because uh, if the Washington football team lost, the Giants were in. So you, you know Giants fans were watching. And then I'm pretty sure Tampa Bay fans were watching. They wanted to see who they're playing. So there's just a big audience. Sunday Night Football, prime time. It was a big, big stage. And if Jalen Hurts pulls up, pulls off the upset, if he brings the Eagles back, eliminates the Washington football team, then it puts a lot of pressure on the on Philadelphia, on the Eagles, to make Jalen Hurts the starting quarterback 
uh, going into camp, going into 2021 season. Um, it kind of closes the book on Wentz being the starter, being the quarterback for the Eagles. And it kind of kills Wentz trade value too. Because then now you know that Wentz has no future with the Eagles. You could offer the Eagles pennies for the dollar. And I think the Eagles didn't want that to happen. Uh, I think they want to go into 2021 with the full open quarterback competition, whether it's Jalen Hurts, whether it's Wentz. They want them to battle out and see who comes out on top. If Jalen Hurts plays the fourth quarter against Washington football team and he leads them down the field and he gets the comeback win and he eliminates them from the playoffs on primetime Sunday Night Football, last game of the season, then it's that's it. He's the starting quarterback. You got to move on. There's no going back. Philly fans will kill you. Would would They'll blow up social media. They, they'll be calling for people's heads if he doesn't get the start. Now, since they did this, uh, it's it's easier to go into 2021 with the quarterback competition. So I think those were the two main reasons. I don't think the Eagles did it because they hate the Giants more than they hate the Washington football team. I don't think I don't think the Giants were ever in their mind. I don't think they did that like, oh, we could win, but I hate the Giants so much that I'm going to lose just to stick it to them. I don't think that ever crossed their mind. That's, that was not one of their motives. It was to, you know, get a higher position on the draft, sixth overall pick, and to not close the book on Wentz. There's a lot of money tied to him. Um, he has shown flashes, so maybe Doug Peterson, maybe the Eagles organization still has a lot of hope for him. And, you know, now they get to keep a little bit of his trade value if, if it's even possible to trade him with that contract. But he keeps a little bit of trade value. And you're able to go into 2021 with a full-fledged quarterback competition instead of just handing it to Jalen Hurts if he pulls up the upset. But I would like to say that I think the Giants players handled this in the wrong position. Like, this was already, like, a bizarre situation. And everybody was like, oh, my God, what are the, what are the Eagles doing on Sunday Night Football, the last game of the season? Chris Collinsworth was talking about it, too, that he would have a hard time doing the same, um, the same, the same thing that the Eagles did. But the Giants fans, the Giants players' reactions, I get it. They were trying to go to the playoffs. But they were, like, you know, they were calling out the Eagles, saying, like, what's going on? How could you do this? Uh Judge Joe Judge was talking after the game, talking to the media, saying that as long as he's a, he's the coach for the Giants, he would never disrespect the league or football like that. That they would always play to win, and I mean Giants players and Joe Judge went on rants saying that like they were just trying to belittle the Eagles for what they did. I had a I had a gripe with that. Like Giants, you're six and ten. All right, you're not missing the playoffs because you went nine and seven, ten and six. You're six and ten. There's any other season you should not even be in contention. I I believe they're like the tenth or twelfth overall pick now. That's where they belong. They're they're a six and ten team. Like you should be lucky to even still be in consideration, let alone make the playoffs. Like what gives you the right to think that you're supposed to go to the playoffs or anything? Like you're six and ten. You were gonna get destroyed by Tampa Bay either way. Now you get to have a early pick. Like come on, read the room. You're six and ten. The ones that who should be actually upset are the Dolphins because they're 10 and 6 and now they're out but you you're 6 and 10 you had multiple chances you're in the worst division in the end in the NFL and now you don't get to go to the playoffs but you shouldn't even be in contention you're 6 and 10 so you would have disrespected the league if you would have made the playoffs at 6 and 10 7 and 9 it's bad but it's been done before so all right whatever 7 and 9 6 and 10 if there would have been a 6 and 10 playoff team uh that would have been that would have looked so much worse and I mean, I just don't get how Giants 
players and coaches could be on their high horse saying that they wouldn't disrespect the league. I don't know. I found that a little upsetting. Like, come on, you're six and 10. Just go home. Use your offseason to build a better team so you don't finish six and 10. <clears throat> Anyways, I digress. That's it for the Eagles. Crazy, crazy stuff. Who's going to be the starting quarterback for the Eagles going 2021? Let me know down below. But on Monday, Josh Jacobs got booked for DUI charge after a single vehicle crash in Las Vegas. Uh, fortunately for him, he didn't crash with anybody else. He didn't hurt anybody else. He had minor injuries. He got taken to a hospital. It looks like he's going to be fine. Nothing happened to Josh Jacobs. Good for him. But it is pretty upsetting. He's one of the stars for the Oakland Raiders. He's a franchise piece. They're going to build around him. He's probably their best offensive talent other than uh, Waller. But Josh Jacobs, 22 years old, very young, upsetting that he does this, upsetting that, you know, the first day that he's not under the supervision of his team, he's getting a DUI, he's putting other people at risk, don't drink and drive, you guys. But this is one of the fears that I had with the NFL team going to Vegas. Uh, we all know Vegas, Sin City, anything goes in Vegas, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. But, you know, there's a lot of players in the NFL that haven't had money their whole life, that are coming from poverty, that they struggled their whole childhood, their whole upbringing, and then they struggled in college. We all, we've all heard those stories where they, they didn't have food on their table, they struggled to eat in college, and now they make it to the NFL, and that's the first time in their life that they get any sort of stability, they get any sort of real money. And even without having a team in Las Vegas, there's a lot of stories where NFL players go broke where they lose themselves, where they're out of the league and they're broke within three to four years. And we all know that there's players that have addictive personalities or they don't hang around the right circle. And Vegas, for all the glamour that it brings, is also one of those places that could really lead, steer people the wrong way if they don't control themselves, if they don't uh, have the right circle, if they don't have the right support group. So that's one of the worries that I have for the teams that went to Vegas, for Oakland, I mean, for the Raiders in particular, because this season I feel like we didn't, I, I haven't heard too many cases. This is the first one that I hear of a Raider player getting in trouble, uh, DUI charge. But this whole season I didn't really hear of players getting in trouble. I think part of it had to do with COVID. Um, I'm pretty sure Vegas was open most of the season, like clubs and casinos were open. But it was a, it was a bad look if a player went because... We all saw how Lou Williams for the NBA got, you know, destroyed by the media once he went to Atlanta and he went with those to get wings with those strippers. I think the same thing. NFL players were aware of that. 53 people on the roster. You don't want to go out and infect somebody and put somebody's life in danger. So I think that helped steer the team the right way. Uh, we didn't really hear anything about the Raiders getting caught in trouble, going out and doing stuff like that. But next season or the years that come when we're hopefully past COVID and we're back to normality, then that's when we're going to see like how this an NFL team in Vegas really plays out. If it's going to be good, if there's going to be support systems. Cause I fear that young players like Jacobs, he's 22 years old. He's the face of the franchise. So he, he must be aware that he's like a big, he's a big role model. And there's going to be players that are not that big of role models that are kind of unknown, but they get their first NFL paycheck. They haven't really uh, had money their whole lives, and they're in Vegas. They probably haven't even been in Vegas their whole life. You're gonna get those middle, their middle of the country kids, like Alabama or in the East Coast from New York, where 
you never had money. You went to like a local college and you made it to the NFL. And now you live in Vegas. Now you live in by the strip. And you're 21, 22, 23 years old. This is the first time you had money. And all the glamour, all the lights of Vegas are right there in your backyard. I just worry that it's going to steer people the wrong way. Because, I mean, we all know that players, it doesn't matter where you live. You, you could go down the wrong path. Even if you're in Wisconsin, if you play for the Packers in rural Wisconsin. But now in Vegas, I think it just heightens the chances of players going down going down the wrong path and getting into trouble or gambling their money away or falling addicted to alcohol or getting into trouble or drinking getting into their car so i just hope the nfl or the raiders have a programs involved people talking to the players steering them the right way like i said this first season i didn't really hear much so good for the raiders good for the nfl i didn't really hear a lot of people getting into trouble this is the first one josh jacobs get it together man 22 years old you have a bright future. Don't mess it up. But uh, that's something to keep an eye out for the rest of, you know, the time that the Raiders are in Las Vegas. I just hope that, uh, you know, players get guidance and they don't get lost in Vegas. But Josh Jacobs, just get it together, man. Don't do this again. Uh, don't put other people's lives in danger. And hopefully this is a growing experience for Josh Jacobs. And, you know, it's a wake-up call for everybody in the Oakland Raiders. Everyone in the NFL, just don't get in trouble. Um, act right. But on Sunday, the Dolphins played the Bills in a must-win game for the Dolphins. Win and you're in. If they lost, they had a score watch. They had a look at the other games. They had to look, keep an eye out for the Colts, uh, the Titans. No, not the Titans. If they lost, the Titans were automatically in. So they had to, they had to watch the Colts, the Ravens. The Browns, yeah, they had to watch those three games. And all three of those other teams won. The Colts won. The Ravens won. The Browns won. The Titans won. So by virtue of that happening, the Dolphins were eliminated. So really upsetting performance by the Dolphins. Must win game. They lose 56-26 to to the Bills. The Bills only played their starters the first half. Josh Allen only played the first half. Stephon Diggs only played the first half. And Barkley came in and torched them up. One of the best defenses in the NFL the whole season got wrecked. They just did not show up. It was very upsetting. Uh, I know they had a letdown because Fitzpatrick tested positive for COVID and he had ha- he had saved them against the against the Raiders the week before. So I think they were a little disappointed that they didn't have Fitzpatrick. But Tua didn't show up. He didn't elevate his game. Uh, I thought I was I was hopeful that I would see we would see a different Tua. I thought that maybe it would light a fire under him seeing Fitzpatrick go in there and have so much success. And then all the people talking that if Tua is the guy for the Dolphins, I thought it would light a fire under him. I thought I was hoping he was going to have a real breakout game, that he was going to have an excellent game to really punctuate his time with the Dolphins and really, you know, let everyone know that he's the starting quarterback going forward. But he did not do that. Once Once the Bills were up double digits, like 14 points, uh, I never really thought that Tua could bring him back. I never saw the Dolphins' offense, and I was like, okay, you know what? They could go on a run. If the defense makes some stops, I could see Tua taking them down the field and making this a game. I never thought that. Not once in that game that I that I think once the Bills took that lead, that the game was in question. I was like, that's a wrap. It's done. Like, 
if Fitzpatrick was available to play right now, he would have came in like at halftime or before halftime. So it's a little upsetting. Uh, if you're a Dolphins fan, if you're a Tua fan, what you saw on Sunday, uh, now the Dolphins are out of the playoffs and because they made some some smart moves the season before, they have the third overall pick. So they finished 10-6, and six, barely missed the playoffs, but they finished with the third overall pick because they, they got a pick from the Texans for the Jeremy Tunsil trade. And now the Texans stunk it up this year. So they have the third overall pick. So they have a lot of decisions to make. Uh, they could either go wide receiver. They could get uh, Jamar Chase out of LSU, give Tua a bona fide number one, give him a real weapon, put him up with Devontae Parker. Now you have some weapons. Uh, Gusecki at the tight end, Gaskin at running back. You could do some stuff with that. Or if you're not satisfied with what you see in Tua, Justin Fields might be available. Justin Fields put on the show. Versus Clemson, he was airing it out. He was throwing the ball down the field with ease. Hung it up in the air 40, 50, 60 yards. Looked effortless. He has an arm. He's mobile. He's fast. If he's there at number three, I've been asking this question for a couple weeks now. If he's there at number three, do the Dolphins take him? Do they move on from Tua? Have you guys, have they seen enough from Tua to to keep him as a starting quarterback? I know there was no offseason. It's a weird season. COVID happened. Uh, he's coming back from an injury. His hip is barely healing. Or it, it might have healed already, but he's, he's still probably lingering. Is, is that enough excuses? Or is his game good enough to warrant him staying as the quarterback for the Dolphins going forward? Because the Dolphins, they're definitely building something. They're definitely going down the right path. Brian Flores is building something. Is is two of the quarterback that's going to take him to the promised land? That's the question I have. And uh, myself, I would probably go Justin Fields if he falls... If he falls to them at number three, I would probably go with Justin Fields myself. Uh, I like Justin Fields' arms, and I like his ability to scramble and make plays with his legs. And I see Tua, and I don't see any elite talent, any elite quality. Uh, can you guys tell me, what does Tua do at an elite level? Does he, is he accurate? Is he, is he, is his accurate, pinpoint accurate? Where you could say, you know what, he doesn't have the strongest arm, but he could drop it anywhere he wants. He has, he has he drops dimes everywhere. I don't think so. I don't think he's uh, over overwhelmingly accurate. Is he? Does he have a big arm? I can answer that for you. He does not have a big arm. He doesn't have a zip on his arm. The, the ball tends to stay in the air for too long. Uh, it it just doesn't pass the eye test at all. I'm I'm thinking like Chad Pennington type of arm. It, it's it's that kind of weak. Is he is he mobile? Is he really mobile? Can he extend the and plays and make make something happen with his feet? In college, he looked way more mobile than he does in the NFL. He looks pretty average in the NFL. Like he's not like golf or anything, but he's definitely not uh, like a, a mobile mobile quarterback. I, I, Josh Allen's more mobile than him. I think even Russell Wilson is more mobile than him. He does he. It, it takes him a while to get to top speed, and even then, his top speed is not that high. So. It sounds like I'm bagging on Tua, but I, I do like him. I think he could be a decent starting quarterback. Uh, he's coming back from injury. He looked good in college, so there's hope. He didn't have that many weapons, but what I've seen in the nine starts from Tua, 64% uh, completion percentage, 1,814 yards, 11 touchdowns, five interceptions. Um, this would have been a fine rookie season in the early 2000s. In the late or late 2000s, but 
from like 2012, 2011 to now where quarterbacks are having success earlier, faster, uh, Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, uh, Herbert, Burrow. There's a lot of quarterbacks that are having early success. And if they're not having early success, they're having they're showing some elite quality the rookie year that you could really put your tip your hat to and you you could be like all right i could build off of that with josh allen he made a lot of mistakes he turned the ball over a lot but you could always say he had a nice strong one of the best arms in the nfl lamar jackson he couldn't really throw the ball at the beginning of the season he still kind of struggles a little bit now pushing it down the field but you could always say that's michael vick speed at the quarterback position we could do something with that and you take it you take it down the line uh, Wentz was super. I mean, now he's he's not that strong. He's not that good, or he struggled a lot. But his rookie year, his first few seasons, you could say he's shrugging up. He's shrugging off defenders. He, he extends the play. He has a nice arm. He's on that big band kind of mold. Goff, really accurate, smart, cerebral player. Uh, stuff like that hasn't turned out the best with them. But you could see something that you could really point to at a quarterback and say, all right, that's what's going to happen. How, this is how I'm going to groom this quarterback. That's that's his strong trait. But with Tua, I don't know what it is. Um, maybe I'm being too harsh on him. Maybe I'm not seeing it. But if I'm the Dolphins and Justin Fields is there at number three, I'm taking Justin Fields. And I'm not thinking about it twice. I'm making calls. I'm hitting up the Steelers. I'm hitting up maybe the Lions. Hey, what do you want? What can you give me for Tua? But the GM did come out today. And he said that Tua is there for the future, that he likes what he saw from Tua, that they're not thinking, they're not going to talk about their draft plans today, something like that, which could all just be a smokescreen. If they were thinking of moving on from Tua, the GM is not going to talk to the media the day after the season and say, you know what, Uh, Tua did all right, we're keeping our options open, we're going to take the best player available, Uh, and if that's a quarterback, then we might have taken. They're not going to say that. It's You're never going to hear a GM or anybody say something like that. Obviously, they have to, when they talk to the media, they got to say all the right things and say Tua is our quarterback going forward. Because if Justin Fields doesn't fall to them and they say they are thinking about taking him, then that just kills the relationship with Tua. So you got to take everything that you hear from player, from people that work in the organization, take it with a grain of salt. You can't always trust what they're saying. So him saying that Tua is a guy uh, doesn't really mean anything at this at this point in time. Everything's a smokescreen with trades. We all hear the Giants saying that they they would never trade Odell and they traded Odell. And all, everyone says the right things, but when it comes down to it, decisions are going to be made and they're, they're just going to pull the trigger if they have to, even if they have told the media the opposite the whole time. But who? what should the Dolphins do? That's the question of the day. What should the Dolphins do with Tua? What should they do with the number three overall pick? Should they get help on the offensive line? Should they get a weapon, wide receiver? Should they get a quarterback? Should they get more defensive talent, just completely make a defensive juggernaut? What should they do? That's the question of the day. But on Black Monday, two coaches, two more coaches were fired Doug Marone and Anthony Lynn, coaches from the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Los Angeles Chargers, respectively. Uh, Now there's six coaching vacancies in the NFL. Chargers, Jaguars, Texans, Falcons, Jets, Lions. And I think the two vacancies that just opened up on Monday are the two most 
lucrative, the most intriguing for any potential coaches out there that are trying to get a coaching job this offseason. The Jaguars have the number one overall pick. They're probably going to get Lawrence. They have some young ta- talent. They're in Jacksonville, so they're in Florida. No state income tax. Beautiful weather in Jacksonville, I hear. So that's an intriguing, intriguing job. The most cap, the most cap space of any team in the NFL. I believe they have over 100 million in cap space. So you could really speed up the process, get like four or five marquee signings in free agency, draft Lawrence, maybe get another wide receiver to pair up with Chark, and you're set. You could really speed up this rebuild. The Chargers, the Chargers have elite talent almost everywhere in the on the roster. You have Herbert, you have Allen, Keenan Allen, you have Williams, another nice wide receiver. Hasn't reached his full potential, but he was a t- top 10 overall pick. He has a lot of talent. If he gets groomed the right way, you could have two bookend wide receivers, Allen and Williams. You have Eckler. He was hurt this season, but super underrated running back. Could catch out of the out of the backfield. He's he puts in the work on leg day. I don't know if you guys seen his workout, but he's built ridiculously. He's a good running back. And then you have uh, Hunter Henry at tight end. Really good tight end. He's he stayed healthy this season. So you could really build a nice offense if you fix the line. You could really build a nice offense. The pieces are there to compete on the offensive side. And on the defensive side, Derwin James hasn't been able to stay healthy. But if you if he's able to stay healthy, hopefully he is, because he suffered season ending injuries the last few years. If he's able to stay healthy, he's one of the best safeties in the NFL. Joey Bosa, highest paid defensive player in the NFL, elite pass rusher. And you have some nice, decent linebackers. You have Casey Hayward. You have some other cornerbacks that could get the job done. That Chargers team is ready to win. It just takes the right coaching, the right coaching staff. If if you bring in uh, Eric Bieniemy or that offensive coordinator for the Bills, I'm blanking out on his name. But if someone good goes there, they could really build a nice team right away. The, the pieces are there. The only drawback is that they're in California, so you're gonna get a lot of state income tax. A lot of a lot of your check is gonna be paid out to the state so that might be a negative for any potential coaches and you're going to be in the same division as Mahomes so that's going to be really really hard competition and you have Chucky and you have Denver but those teams we'll see how they pan out the next couple years but if you're playing against the Chiefs and Mahomes every single year two times a year that's that's hard to ask so some coaches might steer away from that and also because the Chargers are so ready to win right now it probably comes with a lot more pressure to take that coaching job. If, if you take maybe Jacksonville, if you take the Texans job, Falcons, Jets, Lions, you probably get three, four years minimum. Uh, you, they probably give you a lot of leeway. You're like, all right, we're going to give you some time to really hit on your draft picks, to really bring in the talent that you want. But with the Chargers, I think there's a lot more pressure to get it, to turn the ship, to to have results right away. Like the Chargers are ready to win right now. Uh Allen is in his prime. He, he has like two or three more years where he's in that elite prime years. Uh, Derwin James, uh, Bosa, they're all signed long-term. Herbert's on his rookie contract. It's time to win right now with the Chargers. So that's one of the drawbacks from getting the Chargers job. Chargers job, a lot more pressure. Patrick Mahomes in the same division. California State income tax. Other than that, that job is super, super intriguing in my opinion. That would probably be my top coaching vacancy in the NFL right now, followed by the Jaguars and then the Texans because they have Watson. Even though they don't have picks and it's a mess, they're in cap hell, uh, the fact that I have Watson would really 
really make me wake up in the mornings happy to go to work if I'm coaching an elite talent like Watson. So those are the coaching jobs. The Chargers are rumored to be uh, talking to um, offensive coordinator, the coach for the for the for the Cowboys. What's his name? Uh, I'm blanking out on his name. Uh, Jason Garrett. The Chargers are in rumors to be interviewing Jason Garrett for their charging for their coaching vacancy. I think this is typical Charger move. What are they doing? They have the most lucrative coaching vacancy in my opinion and they're going after Jason Garrett. Jason Garrett, I don't I don't think of him as an elite coach. I don't think I don't think highly of him. I think if he wants to get another coaching job, uh maybe the Lions or the Jets, but an elite coaching vacancy like the Chargers like come on. What are you guys what are you doing, Chargers? Really, Jason Jason Garrett, out of all the elite coaches that are on the uprising, all these elite offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators that should get a shot, young, unproven coaches that are hungry to show the NFL what they could bring to the table. They're going. They're trying to go with an old head like Jason Garrett that underperformed with the Cowboys. If the if the Chargers do 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 this, if they hire him, ah. Uh, just typical Charger move, in my opinion. And I would be upset as a neutral, as an ex-Charger fan, as a neutral. I would be very upset if they make this. Like, what did Jason, He he's the offensive coordinator for what, the Giants? And they did not have an elite offensive season by any means. So I don't know what they're seeing there. I don't know how Jason Gray even got this interview with the Chargers. But I digress. Those are the coaching vacancies uh, for the NFL right now. Let me know in the comments below what is the most intriguing coaching vacancy for you guys. Is it the Chargers? Is it the Jacksonville Jaguars? Is it somebody else? And does Jason Garrett have potential as a coach for the Chargers? Would you would you guys like that? Is that a, is that would that be a correct signing? I think it wouldn't, but let me know in the comments below. Moving along to the Premier League, Liverpool lose to Southampton to conclude match day seventeen. Daniel Ings, ex-Red, ex-Liverpool player, gets the winning goal in the second minute, and Southampton is able to hold on to the 1-0 lead. Liverpool is not playing their best football right now. They have two points out of nine. They're really struggling to score goals. They're really struggling to to win games right now. Uh, I think teams have kind of figured out the way Liverpool uh, play with their wing bags. They could expose their wing bags when they go up. If you put a lot of players behind the ball, Liverpool is struggling to uh, break you down. They're struggling to be creative. They're struggling to find the, the passing lanes. They're struggling to find the runs, to find their attacking trio of Firmino, Salah, and Mane. So I think teams have kind of figured out Liverpool and a drop in form for a lot of players in Liverpool too. Namely, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Alexander he's been struggling as of late. His defense has been really shaky, to say the least. Uh, Klopp has to talk to him and figure it out. Like You got to defend tighter. On that goal for Daniel Ings, I, I don't know what Trent Alexander-Arnold was doing. The ball was coming to him at a, at a pretty good height for him to just header it out. He thought about it too much. I think he wanted to chest it last second. Didn't make up his mind. He ended up doing nothing. He just let the ball go through. And then beautiful, ex exquisite finish by Daniel Ings 
to score the goal over Allison. Beautiful goal. And then after that, Liverpool just struggled. They couldn't figure out how to break down Southampton's defense. They didn't look dangerous at all. They had zero shots on target at halftime. And in the second half, they weren't that much better. So I think Liverpool is really struggling to find goals. They really need Jota to come back from his injury. Uh, he was scoring a lot of goals for Liverpool before he got injured. He's almost healthy enough to play, so they really need him to come back and come back strong. The thing that worries about that worries me about Liverpool is they really are struggling to find goals, and it's evident uh, against the result they got against West Brom. It was alarming at the time, but it's even more alarming now that we have more results for West Brom because that was the second game for Allardyce. Allardyce, he got he got signed as the as the coach for West Brom. And in his first game, he lost 3-0 to Aston Villa, and then he tied to Liverpool. So you're like, okay, maybe he's turning a page. He's he's fixing West Brom. He's never been relegated, giving him a lot of props for getting that result against Liverpool. And then after Liverpool, he lost 5-0 to Leeds, and he lost 4-0 to Arsenal. So out of the four games that Sam Allardyce has coached for West Brom, the only point he's earned, the only positive result, the only goal that his team has scored came against Liverpool. So that's a red flag for me. It was a red flag that they lost, that they tied to West Brom when it happened. Now that we have more data, now that we have more games, the fact that Aston Villa put three on West Brom, Leeds put five on them, Arsenal put four on them, and Liverpool couldn't get it done, got a 1-1 tie. Then now it's like, okay, what's going on with Liverpool? How, why were they not able to break them down? Why are they struggling to get results? Why could they not score against Southampton? Uh, they need to figure it out. Klopp needs to get this team together because it looked like Liverpool, after their 7-0 victory against Crystal Palace, was going to break away from the pack. They were going to start building their lead. They we're going to see the Liverpool from last year. I, I came on this show and I said that Liverpool, there's just levels to this. I said Liverpool was just ahead of everybody. And now they're tied in points with, Ars with Manchester United and Manchester United has a game in hand. So they could move up the table. And City has two games in hand. So if they win both of those games, they would pass Liverpool too. So Liverpool has to get it together. They're still my pick to win the to win the Premier League this season because they've struggled against smaller teams. Southampton has done good this season, so they're kind of up there in the table. But they struggled against West Brom. They struggled against like Brighton and stuff like that. So they struggled against the weak teams and they've done they've gotten results against the bigger the big six teams. So just because of that, I still have the most faith in Liverpool because they are getting the results against the big teams. They just gotta get it together against these smaller teams. But that game against Manchester United on January 17th, that's gonna be very key to to determine who wins the title race or if it's wide open again. If United win that game, then it's gonna be a wide open Premier League season the whole way because Liverpool they're one of those teams that can get on the run and just build the gap against anybody else if they lose to United then that just opens it up for City for for uh, Tottenham even for Everton for Leicester it just opened Chelsea even Arsenal now that they're finding their form so we'll see how they do against Manchester United uh Manchester United is playing good right now, so they might go into Anfield and just stop the streak. Uh, I forgot how many games it is, but they might go in there on the 17th and beat Liverpool and Anfield. I wouldn't bet against it. I wouldn't bet for it because I have to see it happen before. No one's beating Liverpool at home. But they are struggling right now. 
they need to score goals. They need Jota to come back. But we'll see. This Premier League season has been crazy. Goal differential is going to be crucial at the end of the season. So clean, clean sheets and score a lot of goals when you have a good game. Score a lot of good goals when you have good games. Make the most out of your good games because there's a lot of in- inconsistency this season. So when you're having a good game, when your players are on, make sure to run up the score. Try to get as many goals as you can. And if you're having a bad game, try to keep your losses down. Lose by one goal. Try to keep as many clean sheets as you can. Because at the end of the season, goal differential is going to be key. And yeah, hopefully Liverpool is able to turn it around because they're still my predict. They're still my pick to win the league. They're, my opinion, they'll still repeat. But we'll see. If they lose to Manchester United, then I might have to make a different pick at that point. On Sunday, City beat Chelsea 3-1. Dominating performance by City. Uh, they were up 3-0 within 35 minutes. It could have been 5-0 at halftime. They had a lot of chances. They looked like the better team from start to finish. Uh, and Chelsea just looked lost. They're in a very bad form right now. Uh, I don't understand what Chelsea plays for. I don't understand their tactics. I don't understand their game style. I don't understand what Lampard is implementing on that team. Sometimes it just feels like, all right, we have a lot of good players. Go do something. Like, figure it out. Just overwhelm the opponent with our talent. And hopefully someone has a spark of genius and they're able to create a chance and one of our players finishes that chance and we walk away with the victory or we take a lead and then the other team has to push forward and then we just use our pace and our talent to get the deciding goal and get the victory. I don't really see too much tactics going on by Lampard. That's one of my gripes with him. When he got the job, I thought he was a little inexperienced. I thought the job was maybe too big for him. He got the job a little too early. And even when he was getting results, I still thought that, but he was getting results, so it was hard to argue against it. It's like, all right, you're getting results. You're almost at the top of the table. Can't really fault you for that. But now that the results are gone, now that they're in a very bad spell, the questions have to be asked, what is Lampard bringing to the table? Is he getting his tactics right? Is he getting his formations right? Is he getting his lineups right? Is he putting the right players in the right positions for his team to work well? And we got to ask questions about Chelsea signings over the summer. Seasage, uh, Havertz, Warner, I think Seasage, he was playing good. He got hurt. This was one his first game back or one of his first games back. Yeah, we'll give him time to get, find his feet and get back into the groove. He was playing good at the beginning of the season. But Havertz, what has he done for Chelsea? Uh, someone let me know what has Havertz done all season. Has he had a good game? Because I, personally, I haven't really seen one from him. He looks... He looks lost on the field. He he doesn't have an influence in the game. He doesn't have an influence in the Lincoln play. I haven't seen it. Warner, he didn't have a good start to the season, but he had a decent start to the season. Not good, not bad, decent. Since that decent start of the season, he's really fell off. I think he has like eight or nine games, or maybe more, that he hasn't scored a goal in all competitions, yet he starts every game. And Lampard has started him at left, left winger. I think he started him at right winger. He started him as the number nine as a striker this week against City and it just does not seem to be working and it's not because of the lack of chances Warner has had chances and he's not putting them away he's not finding his footing in the Premier League and I think it's time for Lampard to bench him you got to bench him because sooner or later you're going to lose the locker room if if Giroud is scoring goals when he plays if Tommy Abraham is scoring goals when he plays it doesn't matter how much money you invested in Warner you got to give these other players time or starts or put them in their positions. 
And you gotta sit Warner on his bench and let him think about his how he's playing and maybe let him process things and maybe he'll find his footing once he goes back into the field. If you keep playing Warner when he's not producing, when he's not bringing you results, I think it's gonna build animosity in the locker room. Other players are gonna start talking. They're gonna be like, "Whoa, why? Why does this guy keep playing when he's not bringing results?" And Herberts, Herberts. I mean, he's already getting benched. I think he started this game, but. I don't know. Uh, so far, these these big signings that Chelsea brought this season have not lived up to the billing, and they need to get it together. Whether it's their fault, whether it's Lampard for not putting them in the in the best position, Chelsea got to figure it out. For all the right that they were doing at the beginning of the season, now they're just three points ahead of Arsenal, and Arsenal were a relegation team. Everybody was making fun of Arsenal. They're about to get relegated. Arteta gone. Let's fire Arteta. Now they're finding their footing, and they're only three points behind Chelsea, who were at some point title contenders. Chelsea fans were really like up in arms, thinking this was their season. And let's see if Chelsea is able to get out of this bad spell. But for City, uh, after not being able to score goals at the beginning of the season, they find they found their their scoring boots as of late. Uh, Gundogan is becoming one of their top scorers. Uh, De Bruyne De Bruyne finally got his his first goal. From open play this Premier League season, Foden scored and assisted. He's a very nice young player. It looks like City is finding their footing again. They have two games in hand. If they win both of them, they would go top of the table, uh, barring what United does with their game in hand. But City is back in the title race. This table is super congested. Like I said, they have two games in hand. So if they win those two games, they're right back up there. City is back, um, especially in the first half. Impressive, impressive stuff by City. The movement off the ball, the move, the runs that they were making, uh, just vintage City performance. Probably the best performance of City this season. And they were without a lot of players because of COVID. I know Gabriel Jesus was out. Garcia, their center back, was out. Uh, Ederson was out. There was a lot of players that City were without, and they still put on one of the best showings, if not the best showings of the season. So Guardiola has steered the ship. They're right back in there. I think City is going to be there at the end of the season competing. And they're scoring goals and they're keeping clean sheets. Uh, they did concede one goal late against Chelsea, which they honestly, Chelsea didn't deserve. They weren't creating chances. But we'll see how City finishes out. They have steered the ship. Their 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 momentum is really trending up right now. So we'll see how City does. But I like what I'm seeing from City. I think they need to play Foden more. Foden is a genius. He needs to start. He needs to. They need to get Foden playing minutes because he's creative, and it's good to see De Bruyne get back in the scoring sheet. He hadn't scored, but he's still probably the best midfielder in the Premier League ahead of Fernandez or anybody. I like I like De Bruyne a lot. Uh, from for my money, he's the best midfielder in the Premier League. But yeah, good job for City and worry worry sometimes for Chelsea. We'll see if. Lampard is able to steer the ship. But that should do it for the Hard to Handle Sports Podcast, episode number 26. My name is Ismael San Juan. Thank you so much for being here. I will be dropping another episode later on this week, uh, breaking down my predictions for wild card round in the NFL and breaking down some of the key games for the Premier League. There's no games this weekend, but I think they start next Tuesday. So I'll be breaking down some of those key games on Tuesday. Once again, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for, uh, you know, being loyal listeners. And if you made it this far, 
I appreciate you and have a good rest of your day. I'm out.